Welcome back, Grizz Nation, to another episode of GBB Live. No, your ears are not pulling an April Fool's joke on you. This is Parker Fleming stepping in place for Joe Molinax, our site manager, host of GBB Live. As Joe Molinax, GBB, is Coach Molinax this week as he had two football games this week. They're entering the uh, crunch time of the season, so Joe asked if I can step in his place this week. And, you know, you can't pass up those opportunities. But ways you can stay in touch with the blog, you can find us on Twitter at SBN Grizzlies and read our tremendous work over at grizzlybearblues.com. And make sure you're liking, subscribing, and downloading to the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network, where you can find every single episode of GBB Live, the Core 4 Podcast, the 3 and D Podcast, and the Starting 5 Podcast. That's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm your host, Parker Fleming, and with me is none other than GBB Senior Staff Writer, the host of the Lot Dawn Grizzlies podcast, the host of the Let's Talk Grizzness locker room show, the locker room legend himself, Sean Coleman. Sean, how's it going? Oh, man, uh, good talking with you. Uh, I'm glad that uh, we're, we're playing uh, to the frequency of the point that me and you can get together and talk. It seems like uh, once every few weeks, I enjoy it as always. So thank you for having me once again. For sure. And, you know, thank you for having me on the Lot on Grizzlies podcast. And thank you for letting me know about the Let's Talk Grizzness locker room. It's been really fun. We actually just got off a uh, really interesting conversation that's kind of going to pivot to what we're going to be talking about tonight. And I know Joe typically jumps into the question of the day on the other side of the show after the ads, but this is such a big topic revolving around the grizzly circles, the, as far as Twitter and articles and stuff like that goes. So let's go ahead and get started. So I left 41 minutes left to vote on this podcast as I'm recording. So by the time that this goes live, the poll will be closed. But today's question of the day is with the two guard battle, between Grayson Allen, Desmond Bain, and D'Anthony Melton. You know, I hate calling it a battle. They're all in this together. They're all trying to win. But what do you value more? 3% right now says who starts. I'm very surprised on that. That's pretty, pretty interesting. And coming in first was minutes distribution at 55% and then who closes at 41%. So, Sean, I don't want to get into a loaded question about what they should do, but let's just break it down right now. So far, the Grizzlies, they've really been starting Grayson Allen or Desmond Bain at the two-guard spot. And I want to get your thoughts on how they're running the current starting lineup right now with those two guys in place. Is that the right thing they should do going forward? Or is it one of those things where, if D'Anthony Melton's the best shooting guard they have, he should be the one that starts. D'Anthony Melton should be starting a heartbeat, but I'll give a little bit more elongated answer real quickly. You know, we were, I, me and others, you know, Joe, I had him, on, you know, locked on Grizzlies before the season started. And we talked about, you know, he was suggesting starting Desmond Bain, but Coach Jenkins wanted to start Grayson Allen. And to make the long story short, Coach Jenkins made the right call. Like, the shooter idea next to Jaw showed up, especially in the first quarter. But while the numbers certainly suggest it worked in the first half of the season, when you look a bit deeper, you start to see how unsustainable these numbers were. The reason why the Grizzlies got off to such good starts with the lineup of Jaw, Grayson, Dylan, 
Kyle and JV was because of the fact that up until the start of the second half of the season, both Grayson and, D- and Desmond Bain were shooting like 53% on their first quarter threes. And so it was really good. But in the second half of the season, the problem is, is that defenses have adjusted, right? They have made stopping Bain and stopping Grayson more of a focus of their starting of the game process. And so as the threes have gone down, as their ability to make those threes have gone down, they're doing it less frequently. You're finding out that what's exposed is the fact that they don't add a lot of value, at least consistently in other parts of their games. But that's what the Anthony Melton does do. And so what you're looking at now is, is that it's worked up to a point, but because of the fact that both Bain and Grayson get so much of their value out of shooting, which is fine. That's just the type of players that they are. The defenses now have shown their card. They've made their move to take that shooting away. And now you've got Bain and Grayson who are not as good as Melton adding value across the board. So I think the Grizzlies counter, especially with the fact of how much they've been struggling to start games, the counter now is to feature Melton more in the first half, because at the end of the day, he has consistently shown he's one of the best value-added net positives on this team, and it's because he adds value defensively across the board and now with this shooting. So he's the answer going forward. That's true, yeah. Um, going forward, I mean, it's looking more and more clear that DeAnthony Melton may end up actually being the answer to the Grizzlies shooting guard question. That's a question that we thought we had to answer in this upcoming draft. More on that in a little bit. But it's very interesting because, you know, I'm looking at the splits right now, and both Grayson and Bain are actually better shooting um, off the bench instead of in the starting lineup. Granted, it may be the product of just defensive quality. I mean, playing against starting defense and bench defense is a difference. But I think the, the one that's more drastic is the difference with Bain. Because in his 11 games as a starter, he is 38% from three. But in 38 or 30 games as a reserve, he's shooting almost 49% from three. So at least right now, as Grayson Allen's out, they may need to roll with D'Anthony Melton in the starting lineup. And, you know, we'll get we'll get to your answer on the poll here in a minute. But, I mean, I'm fine with D'Anthony Melton on the bench. I just think he should close. I think it's just non-negotiable that he needs to be a closer. I did a thread a while back uh, earlier in the month or in March uh, comparing his per 36 and per 100 possessions numbers to three players or two other players at, at their year three form. And he compared favorably or even better to guys like Drew Holiday and Fred Van Fleet. So one thing I would even like seeing, even if it's not starting, let's just say 25 minutes per game, what can happen to the ceiling of your team when you're playing Melton more minutes with John Morant, because I think their net rating together is like plus 14 per hundred possessions. And that's really elite. That is an elite level, but I, I think it's really become more of a thing where I wrote about it this week on Grizzly, uh, Grizzly Bear Blues is to me, it's not about who starts and who doesn't because we've seen this throughout the course of NBA history. Uh, the young Oklahoma city team, they didn't start James Harden. They started Kendrick Perkins. The Warriors, they went with the death lineup to close, but they started Zaza Pachulia, Andrew Bogut, or Kavon Looney. And I, I think when it comes down to it, because you don't want it to be one of those things like, oh, you're starting your be- your five best guys, but then all of a sudden your bench gets killed because they're playing their six through t- – you're playing your six through ten. 
So if it means having Anthony Melton off the bench to kind of give Tyus Jones a little help there, that's fine. Or give Brandon Clark a little help, that's fine. But I think it's become one of those things where DeAnthony Melton needs to be playing 25 minutes a night and closing games. Unless, I know last night he people were wanting him to close, but, I mean, he was two of six from the field. He had three turnovers against one assist. Like, he wasn't having a game like he did against Houston. But that's where I'm at. Sean, where are you on this? Like, where do you, how did you vote on the poll? Is it more of a minutes distribution thing, or is it like a who starts, who doesn't? For me, it's minutes distribution, and the way that I can break it down is this. DeAnthony Melton should be playing 30 minutes a night, and he should be playing at least 10 minutes in each half with John Moran. And the reason why that is is because when DeAnthony Melton is in the game, we typically are playing more to our strengths, and that's when we're at our best, obviously. I know that makes common sense, but the reason why is because you've got John DeAnthony up there on the perimeter creating turnovers at an elite clip. DeAnthony Melton is probably the catalyst for when we are at our best, which is among the league's best at creating turnovers. And then when you do that, you're turning defense into offense. You've got Jaw and DeAnthony who could sit there and be both pushers and finishers in transition when we're at our best. And then you've got DeAnthony Melton's facilitating ability, which I think is a bit better than Grayson or Desmond's. Plus now DeAnthony's evolved three-level scoring ability off the dribble and also being a three-point shooter. So I think that naturally he does the things that the Grizzlies do the best, plus you've got his evolved game as well on offense. So I think it is minutes distribution, and I really do think that you need to play him with Jaw at least 20 minutes a game because the numbers are clear. With the Anthony and Jaw, there is so much more productivity and effective play than when you have Jaw with Grayson and Desmond, despite the fact that the theory of playing Jaw next to a shooter probably makes sense. But if you don't have that elite shooter next to him, both who can pull up and off the catch and shoot, go with the guy who can do everything, and that's DeAnthony Melton. So I think it's 10 minutes per half with John DeAnthony on the court. Mm-hmm. I know it's like different archetypes, and granted, this is like a very historic – uh, event that re- happened in the past five years that really transformed the modern NBA. But is it almost similar to like a like a David Lee Draymond situation where like you know David Lee he had started I think the 2014-15 season on the injury list and then they put Draymond in and it just unlocked a new level. Do you do you kind of see it as if they were to put DeAnthony Melton in the starting lineup and give him like 25, 30 minutes a night, it can just unlock an entirely new level for the Memphis Grizzlies. Yeah, I mean, it, it basically, I think that it's going to allow for their best players to pay, play at the strengths more consistently, and that's what the Grizzlies have right now. And the other byproduct of that is this, is that if you sit here and put DeAnthony Melton in the starting lineup, just think about what you can do with Tyus Jones' facilitation ability with Grayson and um, Desmond Bain working off potentially Clark, Justice Tillman, whatever it is. Think about the elite shooting combination that comes off our bench then you have that supporting what you've got with DeAnthony and Jaw out on the starting lineup. Now, our starting lineup shooting potential, it may suck. But at the end of the day, the defensive potential of that lineup is going to be highly effective. So you take the good with the bad, but you trust that with the defense being your identity this year, let that set the tone for the game and then come with second unit and support the defense with the shooting. You're doing it in different ways, but I think that you're going to off that's going to be the best way you can gain an advantage with your starters and with your bench. Because at the end of the day, Parker, in March, 
you can't get much worse than we already are shooting the three with the shooter next mm-hmm. to jaw. 5.5 threes a game shooting 31% from three in the month of March from our starting lineups. Desmond Bain and Grayson Allen just are not offering that much value outside of the first quarter. So if you're already not shooting the three well or at a league worst rate, why not change up what will make you better and that you have proof will make you better. Mm-hmm. For sure. But I would say this is actually a good problem to have. I, I think a lot of people, um, especially the ones that want Bain or Melton to play more, they kind of underrate Grayson a little bit. He's been a phenomenal catch and shoot player. He's honestly been better than I expected as a Grizzly, especially like becoming more of a potent three point weapon, uh, shooting it with volume, and just the fact that he can put the ball on the floor and make very little mistakes as well. I, I also just like his, sh- uh, his shot portfolio as well. If he's not shooting a three, he's going to go into the paint. If he's not going into the paint, he's going to move the basketball. I just really value that. But the Grizzlies have, with these three guys, three players all shooting above 40% from three on a decent volume, too. We, we never really saw anybody do this in the grit and grind era before. So would you say that this is a great problem to have, that you have three young guys that you can develop, but also they're spacing the floor for your floor general point guard that needs as much three-point shooting as possible? Yeah, it- it absolutely is a great problem to have, but you know, you, you need to make sure that it continues being a great problem so you can move your chess pieces based off what the opposition is doing for you. Because like you mentioned with Desmond Bain, you look at what he's shooting when he starts versus what he's shooting off the bench. Well, it seems simple. And we also saw Grayson be at the peak of his value for the Grizzlies in the bubble coming off the bench. The reason why? Part of what makes them such great shooters besides their accuracy, Parker, is their intelligence. You put that combination against second units, you don't have as much structure defensively. They're going to be able to pick and choose the soft spots to be catch and shoot options. So have that lethal combination supporting the uh, the uh, jaw and Melton backcourt to start games, that could work. And when you do need shooting, when you do need to catch up in games, you now have different variations. So it's a great problem to have. And the thing to remember is this is a data accumulation year. You're figuring that out as you go. But I do think we're getting to the point to where, okay, we've tried one way. The opposition has adjusted. There's proof that we have got to make a change. It's time to do it. And I think we are to that point when it comes to starting Melton. Yeah. And even if it's starting, not starting, what I proposed in the in my recent blog about it on Grizzly Bear Blues is I think Grayson was seen about is seen about 25 minutes a night and Bain is about 22 and Melton's at like 19 or 20, which that that's kind of sad. But I also think if you took four minutes off of Grayson or three, three minutes off of Grayson, get it to where Bain and Grayson are each playing 20 minutes a night and, and Melton's playing about 25 minutes a night. I think that'd be great because not only are you giving D'Anthony Melton 25 minutes a night and he's one of your most impactful players, but 20 minutes is enough time for Bain and Grayson to get find their rhythm from outside, but also it gives them plenty of time to like actually get good volume because what's the point of getting your three-point shooter in rhythm if you're only going to play him 12 minutes a night, you know? Like if you were to play Melton like 30, 35 minutes, but if instead if you focus on 25, 30 minutes, you, you're giving Grayson and Bain enough time to find volume and find rhythm. And 
as we discussed on your recent locker room and as we've been discussing right now, the priority is to get as much three-point shooting as possible, especially as what we've seen this past month. So you got to give guys like Grayson and Bain and Melton the sufficient minutes to be able to find a rhythm and find volume from the outside. Yeah, the, the thing that really stands out to me is, you know, I mentioned it on the pod, Locked on Grizzlies podcast, and I mentioned locker room. In the month of March, the Grizzlies were a negative 7.4 net rating, which was 27th in the league in the first halves in March. 7.5 positive net rating in the second halves, fifth. So they're a top, bottom five team in the first half, top five team in the second half. But at the end of the day, while that may sound positive, you're, you're playing great 10 games. What you're really doing is just making up for the hole that you've dug yourself in the first half. So my idea is in that th- last three-minute stretch in the first quarter and that first three-minute stretch in the second quarter, why not make that your barrage time? Why not make it to where you're getting six to eight looks for three from the combination of Grayson Allen and Desmond Bain? If you get off to a slow start, that's fine. But if you really want to feature that combination, in which I think that a thing for Taylor Jenkins to create spurts where he can feature those two playing together, that last three minutes of the first, first three minutes of the quarter segment, I think would be a great time. And that's the boost that you would need to up your productivity in the first half to support the adjustments and how well you play in the second half. That would be my idea as far as like a game as a schematic change to how the Grizzlies do things. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I think this has just been a great uh, thing also just for the development of the Grizzlies and the lineup structure as well, because no longer does Dylan Brooks have to play the two. He can play the three in the past two seasons when he's played the three he uh, there's a 5.6 points per hundred possession uh, differential this season at the three, and it was 6.1 last year. Last year he was a negative 2.8, and this year he was a positive 1.5 when he was at the two. So you're playing him at a more natural position at the three, and you're and then you have Kyle Anderson at the four. You're giving yourself more versatility while Jaron Jackson Jr. is out, and that wouldn't be possible if you had guys like Grayson or Bain or. Melton shooting 40 plus percent from three and also adding value elsewhere, whether it's being defensive disruptors or putting the ball on the floor and making plays for others, driving and kicking, getting to the basket, getting to the floaters, whatever it takes. I, I think it's been just a real re- revelation for the Memphis Grizzlies. And I think through the process, you're, especially with a guy like DeAnthony Melton, you're finding a guy that could potentially be a, the fourth banana to your core. Or you're finding a guy like Desmond Bain who could be a complimentary player as a potent three-point weapon. And even Grayson's going to have value whether you keep him off the bench as your like ninth or tenth guy or when his salary becomes $4 million next year and you're able to actually get some assets from him. I, I think just this problem in general is just such a great thing for the Grizzlies and you know, I'm really excited to see how it fares out because I think all these guys have proven in the process that they are NBA rotation players, without a doubt. I agree completely. And, and the other thing that I'll say is, you know, we talk about different complex numbers and things like that, but at the end of the day, one thing that I come back to to support your thought process is this, is that in March, the guys that led the Grizzlies in plus-minus, the guys when they were on the court who had the plus-minus the most in their favor, it goes Dylan DeAnthony. Jaw and Brandon, and then Jonas. And that tells you right there who you're, who typically 
at the if you don't want to call them your best players, that's fine. But it tells you that when they're on the court, that's typically when the best things happen for the Grizzlies. And so I'm not necessarily saying that should be your starting five. I still think you bring BC off the bench as the ultimate six-man big, and you put Colin the starting lineup. But don't forget with Jaron Jackson Jr. coming back, I think it aligns for you. Your four best plus-minus guys along with Jaron Jackson Jr., and now you've got Kyle and Brandon to go with Tyus Bain and Grayson off the bench as your second lineup. I think that is what hopefully we will see at some point in May when we're really trying to make a playoff run. I think that's the way all of this should add up in time. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm just really impressed that they have about nine, ten guys. I'll say nine because you're not comfortable with Tyus starting over job, but you have about nine guys that you're comfortable with starting. You're not shaking. Yeah, I mean, obviously you have your guys starting right now, Job, Brooks, Kyle, and Jonas. They've been mainstays. But you're comfortable with Brandon starting. You're comfortable with Grayson starting or Bain or Melton. And even when he starts getting healthy, I know this is my take for the entire season on Justice Winslow is I'm just going to take the flashes. I'm not going to go deep into analyzing his game. I'm just going to take the flashes and enjoy it because he's played he's playing basketball for the first time in over 400 days. So it's going to be adjusting, especially in a pandemic season where you didn't have an offseason. But besides the point, the Grizzlies have options. They have versatility. They can start with whoever, but they can close with whoever. They have the luxury of being able to ride the hot hand to close lineups. And I think that's a very important luxury to have as they're entering this playoff push in these fi this final month and a half. Yeah, one thing that stood out to me that really shined about the um, – riding the hot hand. I think you were there with me. It was the Martin Luther King Day game. And against the Phoenix Suns, who have emerged as arguably in a top five team in the NBA, in that game, I believe if I'm correct, Grayson and uh, Grayson and Tyus were in the game with Jaw and JV. And I forget who else, but I know Dylan was out. But that's the night that the hot hand happened and Grayson hit a big three in our ball handling late, not making turnovers is really what helped us. So I mm -hmm. agree that it's the hot hand approach, but I do think that Taylor does at times become a bit too reliant on his starting lineups because you, you've seen lately the same lineup that's been mm -hmm. opening the game has been the one closing the game, despite the fact that other lineup combinations have provided more productivity. And that is at least a bit concerning from my point of view. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it all circles back to our point. They need to close with DeAnthony Melton. They need to play in 25 minutes a night. Yeah. And yep. because I, I think it can just unlock a new level for him. I, I ran the numbers if he were like a per 25 minutes instead of per 36. And his numbers would be about 12 points or 13 points a night, four rebounds, four assists, and about a steal and a half or two. Like that, that's a that's pretty solid numbers for a two guard that's not going to get the most touches in a starting lineup or even kind of off the bench. So yeah. let, let's just give him 25 minutes a night, let him close, let him get more minutes with Ja, and let, let's just see where it can go because that's how good young teams end up becoming great teams. They test players in developmental situations and see how they respond to high crucial, high pressure situations. And I think a guy like DeAnthony Melton would benefit off of that experience more than just about any non-John Moran or Jaron Jackson Jr. player on this team. And you have evidence of it in Brandon Clark, right? 
who's getting mm-hmm. back to what he was last year. And part of the reason why is he's been asked, he's been called upon to start more often. And one of the things that we're starting to emerge is more impactful plays from his play, because for instance, on defense, he's having more blocks per game, more steals. He's creating more of those momentum changing instances. And I believe that's fully from the fact that he's played against more talented competition. So that's where you have an example of you putting a guy out there, extended minutes against better competition, and it makes him a better player. Take that same philosophy that you have with BC, put it with Melton, and let him sink or swim. At the end of the day, you know what you have with him already. Like you said, see if you can't involve him into something more. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So we're going to be right back. But on the other side, we'll have a little draft talk. So don't go away. We'll be right back. All right, Sean. So as we're recording this podcast, we are two days away from the Final Four. And so I'm going to start with you before I give my answer, but which final four prospect are you most excited to watch? And we'll keep it in this sense because it probably eliminates Jalen Suggs in a Grizzlies perspective. Which prospect are you excited to watch? Kispert. Absolutely Kispert. And the reason why I say that more than anything is just because I want to see what he potentially could do against Baylor's defense. I want to see him do what he can do against Baylor. I believe it's Baylor, if I'm correct. Yeah. What are the matchups? I, I'm blanking right now. It would be Arkansas- it'd be a national championship would be Gonzaga-Baylor. Yeah. Yeah. I want to see what, what um, Kispert does against good competition on a national stage. Because if he can come through, and it's not just his shooting, if he can find different ways to add value, because my concern with him is, is he a guy who 80 to 90% of his value is in his shooting, but you potentially could take away from that because he could be a liability elsewhere. If he can show across the board production, including defensively, to add to his clearly elite shooting level, he's the guy that I'm looking at because at the end of the day, I think he's going to be one of the top three or four most sensible prospects that this Grizzlies team is going to go after because he absolutely meets the profile and I think he's probably going to be one of the more high upside guys at where the Grizzlies are going to be within their range in the draft. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's actually funny because originally he was declared for the 2020 draft, but he didn't sign an agent so he can maintain college eligibility. And I was reading the uh, ringer draft guide from Kevin O'Connor, one of my favorite draft reads. And he had Kispert around that Grizzlies range uh, on his board. And one of his shades of players was Dylan Brooks. So I'm like, I got to write on this guy for our prospect series. And so I did. I really liked his game. You know, he has he's a physical score. He, he has some three-level scoring to his game. He's not just a spot-up shooter, like a specialist. He can actually put the ball on the floor and make plays. And he's a gritty off-ball defender. I think where he'll be a little exposed more is as a on-ball defender. But, I mean, when you have guys like De'Anthony Melton and Jaron Jackson Jr. and Brandon Clark, Kyle Anderson, Justice Winslow, guys like that surrounding you, it's very easy to mask those flaws. And, I mean, as we've seen in Jenkins' system, he's kind of hiding guys like Grayson Allen on the wing and making him a productive defender, or even Desmond Bain, a rookie defender as well. But I, I really think that a guy like Kispert, it fits the Grizzlies' philosophy of drafting older guys, and I think he's a guy that could be a subject to ageism when it comes to the draft. And even then, I even I've texted this to some friends before. I mean, Oklahoma City's not necessarily doing the best at tanking, 
If they get ninth and Memphis gets like 12th or 13th, why don't you trade up that go like that 13th pick plus the Utah pick and go and try to chase like Corey Kispert? I think that that's something that could be realistically in play. And when it comes to like what we were talking about in the last segment, you want as much spacing around John Moran as possible. And when you can ultimately end up throwing out a lineup of John Morant, DeAnthony Melton, um, Corey Kispert, Brandon Clark, and Jaron Jackson Jr., and then have Brandon Clark serve as like a roller while Jaron Jackson Jr. is roaming the three, that's like a spacing nirvana for John Morant. And I think you could just unlock the Grizzlies offense to really raise its efficiency and become one of the most potent offenses in basketball. So... I really like that answer. I really hope that uh, Corey Kispert shows out. Mainly also, too, like, I root more and more. I just root for the NBA prospects to do well. I I don't really – I'm not committed to Ole Miss basketball. I'm not committed to Memphis basketball. I just want to focus on the draft guys. I want to find a couple draft guys I like, and I'm going to root for their success, and Corey Kispert has become one of them. But here's the trap I don't want to fall into because Kispert is fine. But I do think that with how well the Grizzlies have done over their past three drafts and with how well Taylor Jenkins has done up and down the roster of leading players to hit ceilings higher than many expected in different ways than people expected, I don't want to miss out on if Kispert is surrounded by, say, a Jalen Johnson or a Zaire Williams. I kind of put Boat Knight in the same Avenue is Kispert, but maybe Boat Knight because I think he's a more has more offensive value, could be a more resourceful scorer. I don't want for the Grizzlies profile that they've shown that they've used to hit on guys later on in drafts. I don't want that to take precedent over an uber talented young guy that they can develop. Because look yeah. at what they did with Jaron Jackson Jr. They they made him into something many people didn't think he would be. So that's the one thing that I'll say that's different about this one. There's so many high upside guys. I have faith in this front office do making the most out of a high upside guy. And I think there's plenty of younger guys with higher overall ceilings than a Kispert, in my opinion, around that range. Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, there's so many different layers. and I'm sure we'll end up talking about this like closer to draft time, but I understand those concerns, especially since Kispert, he's 22. He projects more as like a Joe Harris than anything. I mean, there's always question marks with young prospects, but I mean, what Kispert's doing this season is historic as far as shooting goes. I mean, he's shooting like 65% on twos and mid 40% on threes. So just whenever the Grizz, like it's been a thing for the Grizzlies for years now of finding three point shooting. And when you have potentially an elite one, historically elite one at the college levels on the board right there, like a 13 or so, it, it's, it's very tempting. It's very tempting to just go out and get the Agreed. shooter Agreed. because Kispert, he's at it. He's shown value in other ways as a physical scorer that can get into the lane, as a as a ball mover, as a as an all off ball defender. So I'm really gonna be paying attention to how he performs in these, uh, hopefully next two games. I would love what this Gonzaga team's doing. I can go. That could be another podcast, man. I mean, they can beat you in so many ways with Suggs, with Kispert, with Timmy, with Ie, with uh, who's the guy they got from Florida? Burn Barnhart Bernhart. I believe I want to say it's Barnhart. I don't know. I don't know. I can't remember. Yeah. Nonetheless, they can win in a variety of ways, but 
I want to move on to a prospect that I'm really watching. He's really climbing up boards and he's really climbing up above on mine. He, I moved him above the Tennessee guys. I'm sorry to do that to you, Sean, but I really like Davion Mitchell from Baylor. Uh, I, I watched a little segment from Mike Schmitz, uh, former owner of uh, draft express. He's on ESPN and in a s- segment with Scott Van Pelt the other night, he called Davion Mitchell, the best on-ball defender he's ever evaluated. And he is also a very twitchy athlete with very elite burst. And he's a three-level scorer that can hit pull-up threes. One thing that kind of hurts him is he's about 6'3 with shoes on, but he's small. But I just think, and Schmidt said it as well, there's star upside with that guy. And I think he's a guy that will blow people away in workouts. Uh, I think one of my favorite things about him is not the fact of how he is a Mitchell that wears the number 45, but his nickname is called off night because whoever he's guarding is going to happen off night. And I think that's so effing cool. Sorry. I didn't want to cuss on your podcast, Joe, but that's just the bottom line. I I think Davion Mitchell is a guy that he'll be all, he would be an awesome fit next to Ja, but I also think he's a guy that can rise so high on boards that he can start pushing down some of the other prospects that we've had around that 7 to 14, 15 range, closer to Memphis, whether it's a Keon Johnson or a Jaden Springer, Moses Moody, James Boatnight, or a Jalen Johnson or a Cordy Kispert. I think Davion Mitchell, can. I, he's had a really strong tournament, but I think he can. his stock can go to the moon if Baylor pulls, off, pulls this off. And the thing that I'll say to support that is this, is that my, my counter to that would be, when is the two small guards as being your primary guards ever worked? And that, right. argument, that argument ended two years ago when you had Kyle Lowry and you had Van Vliet. Okay, the yeah, there we go. Guards. Positivity there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who, who were the main guys for Toronto. So we're talking about this third piece with Jaw and Jaron as being the big wing that could clearly make this – championship core level for memphis but if you go davion mitchell and that 12 to 15 range think about the supporting cast that you've really got you probably don't have that other piece as of yet with jaw and jaron but if you get davion mitchell with his ability as a defender to put next to jaw then you've really aligned yourself to where i think you've got a core like the Raptors had in 1819, to where the Grizzlies do what I thought is going to be the route they're going to have to go to be a title contender all along, and that's getting the star on the wing you trade for him. But if Mitchell is there in that 15 or 16 range, or say maybe even the Grizzlies could trade back and he's in the late teens he's there, I don't think you could go wrong with that because he may not be the ideal guy to start next to Jaw, and he's not your wing, but he's a damn good sorry joe he's a damn good basketball player who offers good two-way ability and you know that in positionless basketball era it's all about the quality of guys and the grizzlies love their two-way players especially who have shown the improvement that he has from three so it may be a bit unconventional way of doing things but you've got proof it can work here recently so why not go with it and still build up a really solid core around jaw and jaron but you know that you've got to make the big move and hit on the right trade later on, which we've always known that this Grizzlies team is likely going to do to be a title contender. I think Davion Mitchell helps you do that or gives you more reason to do that if you pick him in the mid-teens. Absolutely. I even think that a guy like Davion Mitchell, he's a swing that you can take, 
But in, instead of like a traditional like, oh, this is an upside swing and you strike out or you hit a home run, I think it's one of those you either hit a home run or you hit or you hit a double. I don't think he's going to fail in the NBA unless like he just stops knowing how to shoot the basketball. But I'm just really excited for this particular Final Four. I, I'm I'm not a fan of Houston, really. I, I mean, I grew up a Tiger fan, so I don't really want Houston to win. But I'm also a fan of – I want to see the best two teams in the tournament or in the championship. I want it to be Gonzaga and Baylor. Those are the absolute two best teams in college basketball. There might be uh, recently two of the best college basketball teams in recent memory. And I, I just – I'm just really hoping that I, in the in that championship game I can see as many future NBA guys as possible because I, I look at college basketball through the draft nowadays. I don't really look at it for team basis. Oh, yeah. And, and I'm right there with you in this draft. Of course, I got a little bit of a boost with Keon, who, you know, is better than anybody. Well, he's better than anybody in this draft. I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> but, basic, but basically, yeah, I mean, especially with the two balls that are going to be there. But we know with the Grizzlies perspective, this offseason is going to be so huge. And we have so much confidence built up in this front office with how well they've done the past three drafts in a draft whose strengths match up with what the Grizzlies need, the the perimeter base producer, hopefully both ways that can shoot, plenty of options to find. If it's Davion Mitchell, if it's someone like a Moses Moody, if we get lucky, or if it's Corey Kispert, the good thing is, is that even with how late we're supposed to draft, there's still going to be options with the front office that we know has a very good chance to make a decision that's going to benefit us long-term. That's what makes it so exciting. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And Sean, I want to get you out on on these two things here. One, I want you to make your pick for the national championship game. And two, I want you to give a bold prediction for the Memphis Grizzlies in the month of March. In the month of March or month of April? Oh, wow. Month of April, man. Sorry. It's long day, long day. You're, you're perfectly fine. Um, Gonzaga wins the title. No hot take there. Gonzaga wins the title. Um, and I think they do it 74 to 63. I'm going to go off my uh, my loan uh, bracket that I filled out. So a big, a bold prediction for the Grizzlies. Yeah. The Grizzlies are a clear lottery team by the end of April. Oh, my gosh. Wow. The Grizzlies are a clear lottery team by the end of April. I, 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 don't, I don't like to say that, but that's my bold prediction. Um, I, I think adjustments will be made, but I think that because of the Grizzlies' schedule, the fact that they're on the road, the fact that they're playing the quality of opponents, again, 17 opponents in April, we start with a clear with a team that we should be favored over in Minnesota. We end with one in Orlando. Between that, 15 straight games against teams who are pushing for the playoffs. My prediction is the Grizzlies are looking up at the playing game by the end of April. Dang. Wow. Way to just piss off our listeners, man. <laughs> I don't mean to piss them off, but that's that's kind of my bold prediction. For a positive, for a positive thing, I will say this. I will say that in the month of April, Jaron Jackson Jr. has a 20-point game. I like it. I like it. I mean, yeah. your your take, I mean, as it was negative, I mean, I am a little worried because the Sacramento Kings are seven and two since inserting Halliburton into the starting lineup. Again, an example of 
let's see what happens when you put your productive guard that's off the bench into yep. the starting lineup. We're seeing it with Sacramento. Uh, they they kind of scare me a little bit being a, a game and a half back, but uh, I'll close with mine here. I want to go with Gonzaga winning it all. Honestly, if my girlfriend uh, would approve of it, I would be shaved down to the uh, Drew Timmy handlebar mustache, but she <laughs> would not allow that. And I don't think my parents would allow, my mom wouldn't allow that either for Easter. But I'm going to go with Gonzaga to win it all. And my bold prediction for the month of April is that Jaws starts progressing towards the mean as a three-point shooter. I think he has a I think he shoots above 30% from three this month and hits at least one three a game. Real quick question. Have you, when you've seen his threes recently, do you it feels like he's getting more comfortable? He's more decisive. It's more one fluid motion, more instinctful than thinking about it. Have you kind of noticed that on his threes? And because a lot of them have been the step back pull up variety instead of the slow think about it wide open variety. Are, are you mm-hmm. thinking he's getting more comfortable with the form? Yeah, I think he's getting more comfortable. And I think it goes back to Brandon Abraham's fantastic Ted Lasso feature this week. If you haven't read it already, go read it. And if you haven't watched Ted Lasso on Apple TV Plus yet, go watch it right now. But He's adopted that goldfish mentality of he's not letting these shots bother him. It's just next up, next shot mentality because he's confident in his abilities as a shooter and he knows he's going to break through this. And I think in the month of April specifically, I think he will shoot 30% from above 30% from three. I mean, and then he'll well, at least won a game. He, he's on a good track right now and has passed one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games. He's hit at least one three-pointer, but two threes last night against Utah. And I think he'll be he'll keep trending towards that way. And I think you'll see him flirt with that 30 to 35 percent ballpark in terms of three-point percentage. You turn him into a 35 percent three-point shooter and put DeAnthony Melton next to him 15 to 20 minutes a game, that will certainly change my mind about April mm-hmm. expectations. Yep, and your, yeah, your bold prediction will look stupid, foolish. I'll make sure it's on cold, old takes exposed. I hope it is. <laughs> but, nah, Sean, thank you so much for joining us for this week's GBB Live. Do you have any final remarks? Do you want to hype anything up? you want to let the people know what you're working on here? Oh, yeah. Um, just uh, I, I typically, uh, in the month of April, um, you know, over at GBB, Really going on my end, got a couple of ideas that I'm going to work with Joe and Parker on as far as matchup specific opportunities that are there against some of these better teams where the Grizzlies have looked against above 500 teams. Going to look at that on the Locked on Grizzlies podcast. But yeah, um, if you, if uh, the thing, great thing about Grizzlies fandom right now with how awesome the prospects of this team are, as I say all the time, because I love saying it, the prospects of the coverage of the team are just as bright. GBB Live here, my podcast, the Locked on Grizzlies podcast. Wherever you listen to podcasts, it's there. Listen, subscribe. Please enjoy. A lot of effort goes into it, just like it does here. But you get so many different various perspectives, and you also get so many different various ways of looking at things, both positive and negative. And the great thing about it is, is at the end of the day, it's all out of passion for the team. So uh, I just I enjoy any time that I get to do this and talk with y'all. And thanks for allowing for me to have the platform to do it, Parker. Absolutely. Nobody has taken advantage of the platform more than Sean Coleman, whether it's GBB, the Locked On Grizzlies podcast, or Locker Room. I mean, he's, like I said earlier in his intro, he's the Locker Room legend. I get I get a notification at least once or twice a day saying, oh, Sean Coleman invited you to their room. And I joined today, and it was pretty lit. 
So make sure you're downloading the Locker Room app so you can join Sean on those uh, Locker Room sessions. Let's talk business. Make sure you're listening, subscribing to the Locked On Grizzlies podcast. And read his work over at Grizzly Bear Blues. You may know him as the guy that predicted all three draft acquisitions, or three of the four. None of us saw Sean McDermott coming, but Desmond Bain, Xavier Tillman, Killian Tilly. You may know him for that, but he has so much more tremendous work that you need to read over at Grizzly Bear Blues. And so make sure you are following the podcast on Twitter at GBB Live. Make sure you are following the blog on Twitter at SBN Grizzlies and read our work over at grizzlybearblues.com. Follow me on Twitter at Paca underscore Flocka. And let, let's enjoy the weekend. Final Four, Easter Sunday, and some Grizzlies basketball tomorrow against the Minnesota Timberwolves. So, so yeah. Uh, let's get a win. Forth. Yeah, let's get a win. But it's going to be a wild month. Just stick with us, and we'll provide the best coverage possible for you. But that's it for GBB Live. Grind fourth. Grizz Nation, this is Grizzly Bear Blues Live.